Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue through this particular portion of Scripture. We'll be reading chapter 3 verses 5 through 17. It is our privilege to be reading the very Word of God. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It's God's holy word. Therefore, out of respect and reverence for the author of Scripture, please stand for the reading of his word this morning. Beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of having your word here today. We pray that you would give us insight, that we would be able to understand this word, dear Father, and seek to make it real in our lives. May we see our great King exalted, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Just a quick review in terms of last Sunday. For remember, Scripture is always within a context, brothers and sisters. You can't just rip a portion out and, and divorce it from either side. Always within a context. And as we wrestled through uh, the significance of verses 1 through 4, remember, we addressed the theme of this entire book, the little book of Colossians, in verse eight, in, in chapter one, verse eighteen, 
where Paul talks about Christ being preeminent in all things. And that's critical to understand everything within this book. Okay, That he is preeminent. In other words, he is king over all things, over, area, over every area of life. Paul makes eight statements leading up to uh, verse 18 where he talks about uh, things within this world which Christ was part of the creative work, things over which he is overseeing. Uh, so the world, not just the church, this is, this is Sunday through Saturday, 24-7. Okay? Uh, and after these eight statements, you had that little phrase, so that he may be preeminent which means Christ ruling over all things. So never lose sight of that. Our responsibility is to serve that great king who gave his life for us. Preeminent. He is king. He is the ruler. Within that context, remember, we, as Paul began to make the practical applications of this in chapter 2, verse 6, he talked about, therefore, where to walk in such a way. To honor him. Now keep in mind that walking had nothing to do, brothers and sisters, with how I put my left foot in front of my right. That walking involved living out the reality of loving Jesus. And so it's within that context that we come to this portion of the scripture where Paul talks about our thinking. Okay, uh, and, and he makes the statement that we're to uh, seek the things that are above. Uh, that we're to set our minds on those things that are above. In other words, as I talked last Sunday, we're merely exiles, we're sojourners, we're traveling through. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We're on that journey to heaven. So while we're here, we're to be heavenly-minded. Okay. In other words, we're to think the thoughts of the, the with our focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and and, and that, so that brings me to the title of the sermon today: Are we so heavenly minded we're no earthly good? And you know, again, if if we're not careful, we can end up there. But you've got to understand that that heavenly mindedness describes the way we live in the reality of this world, the everyday affairs of life, that we live in such a way that the Lord is magnified in our lives. So obviously that heavenly mindedness is lived out, walked out in the reality of life. Okay? So that brings us to uh, the paragraphs that we read uh, in reference to Paul's discussion of what we're to do. Now, keep in mind as we think about uh, these things, we're talking about those things that would be described as works. Please understand that uh, the fruit that is ours, the works that we do, that does not save us. Don't ever fall into that trap. We cannot earn our way to heaven. Not enough good in us to earn our way to heaven. Please understand that. 
We're saved through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us first. In fact, he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Because of our love for him, these works, this fruit, is to be seen in our lives. Please understand that. John 14, 15, great memory verse, simple but powerful. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if, you, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, there should be fruit, there should be works that are seen in our lives that demonstrate the reality of that love. Not a works righteousness, a love response because of what our great king has done for us and because of the privilege that we have to serve this great king. Thus, the characteristics that Paul talks about here in reference to how we're supposed to live. He begins by talking about putting these things to death. And he goes through a list of things, sexual immorality, impurity. I'm not going to deal with each one of the words. I'm going to, uh, there may be some that I pick and choose as we go through, but just keep that in mind. We're to put to death these things that in the Lord's mind are wicked. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Those things are not to be in the life of a believer. Paul emphasizes that when he says, in these you too once walked. In other words, this described your life at one time. That's before you were converted. Now that we are changed, our lives are to be different. So these things are not to be seen in our lives. He goes on to say, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off old self, the old self, with its evil practice, and put on a new self. In other words, the reality of the change that takes place because of conversion. And now that my mind is focused upon serving the Lord Jesus Christ, these things are to be taken away. The old self is dead. The new self is alive, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, a point that needs to be made here. The word renewed that Paul uses in verse 10 is extremely important to keep in mind. Okay? As we strive to serve our Lord because of the love that we have for Him, it is a struggle we refer to this theologically as sanctification, which is a process as opposed to justification. We are justified because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That takes place instantaneously when he becomes our king, when he becomes our savior, when he becomes our Lord. We are justified. Our sins are taken away as far as the east is the west, from the west. We'll never be confronted by those things again because Christ paid for them. The debt's been dealt with. That's justification. That sets us on a new path. 
which is a process, the process of sanctification, which is this process of Christian growth, the renewal that takes place. And that is a part of the process, brothers and sisters. But at the same time, we understand and we see uh, horrible examples in Scripture of actions of believers. We think of David and Bathsheba, in New Testament, he's called a man after God's own heart. But in a, in a moment's action, what did he do? He sinned. And he tried to hide that sin up, which simply complicated things that much more, you see. But then when you read Psalm 51, you also see a repentant heart. Recognizing that he hadn't arrived yet. Paul. Romans chapter 7, been a believer for at least 30 years. Uh, he's converted, 33, 34 A.D. Book of Romans is written, 64, 65 A.D. And in chapter 7, Paul is wrestling with this process of sanctification. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from the bondage of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Very next verse. Therefore there is now what? No condemnation. You see? In other words, that process of renewal is a battle. It's a struggle as we seek to be what the Lord wants us to be. As we seek to demonstrate the, that we're getting rid of these old, these old characteristics the old man is dead, the new man's alive, but it's a process, a process. I would wish that it were a process that X marks the spot of my conversion and oh, it's a steady lineup. Wouldn't that be nice? But guys, it looks more like a stock market chart. And sometimes those lows are pretty low. That's why Christ saved us. But he put us on this journey. And it's a journey that involves growth. But it's a journey in which there's a struggle. Please understand that. Always understand that, okay? Uh, don't, uh, don't fall into the trap of perfectionism. Uh, there was a major college professor years ago that made the statement, I have not consciously sinned in three years. And I, I said, man, who, where are you living? Uh, it, please understand, it's a constant battle. Okay? But uh, it's a battle in, in which Christ is with us and, and we're being renewed. That progression continues to go on. Another interesting thing that's here as Paul brings this paragraph to a close where he says, makes the statement here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Brothers and sisters, we've got, we've got to understand and we realize and what, from what Paul is saying here, listen, we're people. Everybody who walks on this earth is a people. No distinction. You know, we're all created by God to be used for his purposes. So please understand that. Let us not fall into the trap of, 
of thinking that, that, that we're better than somebody else. You know, uh, we're part of the human race, the human race that God has created and, and made special because we're made in his image, in his image alone. No distinction. We're to treat others with respect. We're to treat others in such a way that demonstrates a, uh, a sense of love, a sense of commitment to one another. Realize that when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, you know, of course, it was a trick question. It was within the setting of his uh, talking about uh, the, the, the law, a bunch of Jews in the room, and somebody trying to trick him says, what's the greatest commandment? And his response was, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one footnote, be, be, be careful here. Jesus is not saying, now all of a sudden you only have two commandments, guys. No, the first four commandments all deal with our relationship with God and commandments 5 through 10 deal with our relationship with neighbor. So he was structuring it within two laws, but demonstrating the equality of all of it. You can't pick and choose, well, I'll keep these five, but the others, nah. No, it's, it's all one. And, and, and again, a footnote here, please understand that the law, and you see this in the book of Galatians, the law is a schoolmaster, a tutor, in other words, it drives us to Christ. For without the law, we would never be confronted because we'd never do anything wrong. But the law confronts. It drives us to Jesus. So within that setting, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second one is like unto it. That's where the equality comes into play there. Is to love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody in the back of the room. I got a question. I got a question. Who's my neighbor? In a room full of Jews. What story did Jesus tell? Story of the Good Samaritan. Why? As I mentioned in our call to worship, Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. I mean, if you were, if you were a God-fearing Jew, shoot, if you were going from Galilee to Judea, you would cross the River Jordan, go outside of Samarita, Samaria, recross the River Jordan into Judea. You would not go through Samaria because you might have to talk to a Samaritan. Okay. Hatred for each other. And what in the world is Jesus confronting these Jews with? You see, uh, food for thought. The next paragraph, Paul deals with what we are to be. Put on then, in other words, like a coat, I'm to put these things on, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he goes through a list of things. Now, once again, these things that talk about a new individual are not generated by a works righteousness. Please, please don't fall into that. I've got to do so many, so many works and, I, and so forth. No. They're motivated by our love for Jesus and by our walking under his lordship. 
That's why these things are to be seen. Again, just comment about a couple of them, not going to deal with all of them. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you, and this Greek word is there, you must forgive. Not an option. In the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus lays out principles for prayer in Matthew, what is the one principle that he repeats at the end? Forgiveness. You must be willing to forgive. If we're going to expect the Lord to forgive us, we must be willing to forgive others. Brothers and sisters, I have dealt with too many people, older folks who have lived lives of bitterness and distress because they would not let go of an offense that someone had done against them. And there's a sense in which we really can't expect the Lord to forgive us if we aren't willing to follow his example And even on Calvary's cross, some of the words of Jesus went something like, Forgive them, Father. For they know not what they do. See, forgiveness, very important principle. So please, please keep that on. But that's not where I'm going to spend time. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And he talks about peace, and he talks about uh, the word of Christ dwelling, and, and these type of things. But I want us to really wrestle with this. And above all these, that phrase, above all these, emphasizes this is most important. That's what the little Greek word epi means. This is it. Okay, and above all of these things I've been talking to you about, Put on love, and the Greek word that's used here is the word agape, which means sacrificial love, that which is giving of oneself on behalf of others. And so this is to be a living demonstration of our relationships with one another, that we're willing because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and because of our love for each other, that we're willing to put others First, put others before ourselves. Paul says, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, it's this love that we have for each other, brothers and sisters, that makes all these other attributes, all these other characteristics come into play so that they're manifested within the body of Christ. They're manifested within our relationships with one another. The word that Paul uses binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, it's that love that makes all of it work. Visualize a symphony. You've got all these people that have tremendous gifts playing certain, certain instruments uh, within this whole collective group of people and under a conductor who's completely in control of the scenario and he moves in such a way that all those instruments what? Come together in such beautiful harmony. 
How good would a symphony be if a violinist said all of a sudden, I'm the best one here, you need to hear me. No. It's this love for one another that allows us to, to work totally together so that the church of God is like a symphony. Brothers and sisters, every one of you in this room has gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to you. And we bind them all together. And your, 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 your unique personalities... So that all of it works together. Such a beautiful symphony. A masterpiece. In seeking to serve our great king. So for the church. Love is the lubricant. That enables all the other virtues. To function together. It's that love, brothers and sisters, that if you remember the scenario in the upper room, Judas has already been told to leave. Jesus has already washed the feet of his disciples to teach them leadership. That leadership is to be one of a servant, not one who dominates others. And it's within that context that we read John 13, 34, and 35. I'd encourage you to turn to that if you, if you don't have it memorized. Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you. What's a command? Not a suggestion. Not a request. The great Lord of the universe says, A new commandment I give unto you. Now, Please understand, and you've got to be careful with that word new, it's a new administration. Because you'll read that phrase in the Old Testament quite often. Okay, But the king who fulfilled the aspects of the Old Testament, thus a new administration. The king commands us to love one another. And this is that agape term that's there. Love one another. Even as I have loved you. What was he about to do for them because of his love for them? That's the model for the love that believers are to have for other believers. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you. And by this the world will know that you are mine. The greatest evangelism program, and, 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 and please understand, I'm not totally an anti-program guy. But we always come up with these programs for evangelism, for church growth. David cut me a bigger cube. Remember, the top's focusing on what? It's like a pop test, guys. Ooh, excuse me. It's like a pop test. Top focuses on what? Our relationship with the Lord. 
heavenly minded. Bottom, the foundation, is God's word. Because where do we read how to be heavenly minded? Scripture. Brothers and sisters, the four sides are being lived out before whom? Who's watching us? Who thinks they have all the answers to life? But when they face real problems, they realize they don't have any answers. So where do they look? The lives of believers. And Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. In other words, that willingness to die for each other if that was required. And he goes on to say, and guys, the world's going to know you belong to me because of the way you love each other. So the greatest testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, guys, before a watching world is God's people, the people purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, actually living out what it means in the lives that they live in everyday affairs where they treat each other with respect where they deal with people with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, all these things. Our responsibility, and I guess this is the, well, in fact, it was the same group of guys that about a month later, Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth, or in heaven and on earth. Therefore, you need to make disciples. How do you do that? You go. In other words, you live your life out before other people. You disciple. You go, you teach, you baptize. But the context that allows that to take place, brothers and sisters, and this is what you've got to see, Jesus is telling these guys that he's about a month later telling them this to go out and do this. He's saying, guys, you've got to love each other. And by this, the world will know that you're mine. Look at the front of your bulletin for a minute. Have any of y'all read anything by Francis Schaeffer? Mind altering. You realize he was a PCA guy when he died. Because he was part of the RPCES, and when they joined with the PCA, he became a PCA pastor. And it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that he actually addressed the assembly. So Interesting. But listen to what he says. One cannot explain the explosive power of the early church. Remember, you read the book of Acts, guys. What happened in that early church? Explosive power. 
apart from the fact that they practice two things simultaneously. The orthodoxy of doctrine. In other words, you've got to understand, and we fall into this trap. All people don't want doctrine. Let's just give them practical stuff. Guys, practical stuff is based upon doctrine. Book of Colossians, everything that Paul says here is based upon the doctrinal statement that Jesus Christ is king over all things. Therefore, boom, 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 boom. You've got to have doctrine or else you're just, it's like you're putting your hopes on a cloud or a spider's web if you're climbing a wall. Got to have the truth. And the orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church. A community which the world can see. Remember, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are mine. Guys, the greatest evangelistic tool is God's people loving each other so much that the world sees what they are looking for. But they're looking in all the wrong places for it. But the reality of that is within God's people, within His church, within the lives that we live because of the love that we have for Jesus Christ and the love that we have for each other that are lived in a watching world. That was the early church. And we've had incidents of that throughout history. Reformation, revivals, you see things of that nature. But guys, it's God's people loving each other as we're supposed to. Living out the truth in such a way that Christ Jesus is exalted. Our focus is on Jesus, heavenly-minded, We're grounded in his word. And the world is watching. Now, one quick footnote. Please, please don't fall into the trap of evaluating success by the standards of the world. It's the world that says, oh, you've got to have a big church or you're not successful. That's garbage. I thought we were supposed to be heavenly minded, not earthly. Please don't fall into that. I can remember as a coach years ago that there wasn't such a big big emphasis, but here again the world, if, if you're not a winner... You're not successful. Athletics used to be, when I got into it to begin with, hey, you're helping young ladies, or young girls become young ladies. You're helping boys become men. That's success. So don't fall into the numbers game. Don't fall into that trap. Allow God to use you and love each other so much that you'll sacrifice for each other. And the world's watching, guys. The world's watching. 
Let's pray. Well, Father, we do marvel at the grace that was demonstrated in Jesus Christ coming to save us from our sins. We do thank you so much for the scripture which uh, we're able to study and that because of our love for Jesus, we're able to live out. And Father, I pray that we would do that faithfully. I pray specifically for this dear body, oh Father, that, uh, that you would just use them in a mighty way here on this Gulf Coast, an area that is uh, so barren of truth, so barren of that love which is to be manifested because of our love for Jesus Christ. Use this dear group of people, dear Father, to impact this area. That the reality of the kingly role of Christ would be seen. For it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.